This episode of Uzo Talk is brought to you by Kingsford Smith Transport. Have a group that needs transporting? KST has you covered with their fleet of professionally maintained buses and coaches, catering from 9 to 57 passengers and driven by experienced drivers. Visit kstbuses.com.au to talk to the team and make your booking. Kingsford Smith Transport, proud sponsors of the Uzo Talk podcast. There's no Uzo Talk without a bottle of Uzo, which is why we love the Greek Provador. Get a real taste of the very best produce that Greece has to offer. From olive oils and delicious artisan sweets to unique spirits, earthy herbs and memorable wines. Visit thegreekprovador.com.au to see their amazing range. The Greek Provador, proud sponsors of the Uzo Talk podcast. Sound is... Mate, this is going to be an interesting episode because we have someone who I think is possibly one of the highest ranking diplomatic officials to date on the show. On the face of it, it really doesn't seem like someone you and I would ever rub shoulders with, but here we are again, right? Tom, unbelievable. But look, we, we may have rubbed shoulders with this person previously. We have, but the real sense of imposter syndrome, I think. <laughs> in, in what scenario would you, would you and I ever meet with an ambassador or something like that? Very rarely, unless we're in trouble. Like <laughs> That's just to, just to be clear. That's never happened before. No, never happened. <laughs> we don't plan on happening either. Exactly. We're good boys. We're good boys. But look, in reality, we have had uh, Greek Consul General Yanis Malikoudis on the show, former NATO Supreme Allied Commander of the US, Admiral James Stavridis, his distant Australian relative, Commodore John Stavridis of the Royal Australian Navy. I mean, this is genuinely elite company, isn't it? Certainly, Tom, we must be doing something right to attract this calibre of people. Yeah, absolutely. Today, we're going to be talking about Greek and Australian relations. And to do that, we need someone who knows their stuff, obviously. So our guest is Australia's new ambassador to Greece, but is also accredited to Bulgaria and Romania. She's a senior career officer with the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade and was most recently Assistant Secretary of the Consulate Communications and Policy Branch. She's previously served overseas in Indonesia, New Zealand and the Solomon Islands before finding herself in Athens in her new role earlier this year. Unlike her predecessor, she doesn't boast Greek heritage, but we're really proud to say that she's actually a fan of this show, a fact that we're still pinching ourselves over, right? So without any further ado, beaming in live from Athens this morning is Her Excellency Ambassador Alison Duncan. Welcome to Uzo Talk. Kalimera, guys. Good to, good to be hey. here. Kalimera, <laughs> How's the Greek Excellent. going? Um... <laughs> Etsy Kietsi. <laughs> That's very impressive. Perfect. Yeah, Pretty well done. <laughs> Pretty slowly, actually, but uh, yeah, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. You could have fooled me. That's fa- that's fantastic. Well, look, we did try to make this episode happen while we were in Greece. It didn't happen for a variety of reasons, unfortunately, but nonetheless, it's happening now, and we're really happy that it is happening. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. It's really good to be on the show, and as you said, I am a fan. Um, I, uh, you know, this was part of my my research for the role, listening to your podcast. So I'm not sure how well it prepared me. Maybe really well, maybe terribly. (laughs) Bit underdone, going in. (laughs) No, but I do. I I really enjoyed it. Actually, you've you've interviewed some really great people in the past, and um, it's a pleasure to be part of such fine company. Well, we're really glad that you have joined that company and that you're joining us as well. So, look, I guess on that note, Nick. I think it's time that we uh, have a drink and formalise it. What do you reckon? Definitely, mate. Let's have a drink.
it's 9 a.m. in Athens right now, which I think we can all agree is too early for a, for a drink for you, Alison, but it is 6 p.m. here. So with, if you don't mind, with your permission, we're going to have a couple of drinks. <laughs> please do, guys. On your behalf. Yeah, please do. <laughs> so have an extra yamas. one for me. Stinny yamas. <laughs> we will. Yamas, here's to, here's to you. And Nick, what are we drinking today? Greek prophet, I've done it again. And I'm sure we might have had this on the episode before, but the Castra Elion Vodka. So that's the olive vodka, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, made from olives from uh, what was the place in Greece? Castrae Leon. Castrae Leon. <laughs> sounds French, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Nafpaktos. So olives handpicked from Nafpaktos have made this beautiful premium quality vodka, and it's just perfect for us. Summer's around the corner, mate. That's it. That's it. I mean, yeah, it's, things are well equally for winter as well. You know, it's something that's going to warm you up over there, you and the family there, Alison. <laughs> So we can highly recommend that for, uh, What do for you, you think of it? I've loved this a couple of times that we've had it. It's versatile in the sense that you can have it in summer and winter. <laughs> Classic. I can actually taste olives. I think so Pepper too. as well. It's beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, Crystal. Greek yes, Providor. Thank you Chance. to the Greek Providor for that. And look, Alison, I suspect being in Greece, you would have had to have had a few drinks already with your counterparts over there in the interests of diplomacy, of mm-hmm. course. Is it rude to say no in this type of environment? It's very rude. So yes, I have <laughs> I have um, drunk for my country here in Greece and um, very much enjoyed it. I'm particularly enjoying the Greek wines, actually. I've, oh, I wow. try to, wherever I go, I try to try to get hold of something local and um, and try it out. And there's some really good wines here. Um, in fact, it was quite funny. I was in Santorini recently and I went to the Gaia Winery, which is the winery that um, Peter Barry from Jim Barry Wines in the Clare Valley worked with to get yes. the vines to make his Asiotico. So I went and met the winemaker there and she gave us a taste of everything and it was all amazing. And um, at the end, my husband said, oh, you know, Greek wines come a long way from Retsina. So then yeah. she rushed <laughs> off and came back with a bottle of Retsina. They make Classic. it. <laughs> and it didn't was, get the hint. <laughs> no, it was really nice. I mean, really? Was, really? Well, if you like drinking something that tastes like a tree, because um, it... <laughs> Because it kind of does, right? It does. <laughs> well, that's tree sap. Yeah, but it was actually really nice. So there you go. I can even vouch for the Retsina. So even Retsina has come a long way, Nick. Yeah. That's a great analogy. It tastes yeah. like a tree. It's yeah. so funny. <laughs> Depends how you spin it. It's like it's it's so fresh. Yeah, was, that, was that undiplomatic? No, I, I think, I think that's a fair call. I think I'm going to have to use that. <laughs> I think that's a fair call, honestly. <laughs> So, no, look, Alison, look, first serious question of the day for you. Hope you're ready. What are you? Are you a frappe or a freddo drinker? Oh, Hit gosh. Well, this is the most undiplomatic <laughs> thing I am going to say on the podcast. I don't know how I became Australia's ambassador to Greece because I don't drink coffee. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. I know. Weird. No one understands it. I go to meetings. Okay. They offer me coffee. I say, oh, yeah. no. I have to pretend that I've already had too many coffees that day. Sometimes I tell them, <laughs> no, I just don't drink coffee. And they just look at me like, what What are you? What, what kind of weird? Oh, <laughs> anyway. How do you function? I know. How long have you uh, been there? Uh, you, you may change. I may, may change. change. I may change. Not quite four months so far. So maybe by the end oh, of three wow. years, I'll be having 10 coffees a day. Look, I reckon if we have you on in a year's time, you'll be, oh, Nick, I'm a Fredo. One yeah, sugar. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> we'll have to do the follow-up episode for that. But yeah. look, as we said in the intro, you're not Greek yourself, but I'm interested to hear, did you have any prior connection to the country at all? Well, like 
just about everyone. I've always been interested in Greece. Like it's such a fascinating country. We all learn about the ancient history of Greece. So I'd always been interested in the place. Um, I don't have any family roots here, but um, I suppose you could say I've got a bit of blood um, or left a bit of blood. Uh, my great-grandfather fought in Gallipoli. Uh, and, of course, oh, wow. as, as many people know, the Gallipoli campaign started in Greece. You know, the Australian and New Zealand soldiers left from the island of Limnos and that is also the place to which they were evacuated when they were wounded and there was an Australian nurses station set up on Limnos um, to receive the wounded. I think there was something like 120 nurses who dealt with something like 40,000 wounded soldiers. So you can just imagine, um, you know, what that was like uh, in 1915. And my, gra- my great-grandfather served there. He survived. He was wounded, so he was treated on Limnos um, before he was eventually evacuated to Egypt and then back to Australia before re-enlisting and then going wow. coming back to fight in France. But... Um, uh, and my husband's grandfather uh, fought in Crete in World War Two, so uh, he lost a leg there, very badly wounded. He also survived, though. He was um, captured by the Germans and was a prisoner of war. But yeah, he spent quite a while on Crete, both I- in the battle, but also then um, recovering from from his injuries before being shipped off to a POW camp in Germany. So, so I guess we don't have Greek blood in us, but we've got a bit of blood in Greece. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So there is, a, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's a strong connection, really, 100%. a strong family connection. Yeah, definitely. And who would have thought their great-granddaughter would come back and be an ambassador? Yeah, I don't think my great-grandfather would have been thinking that when he was <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, lying in a hospital bed on Limnos. But, uh, yeah, and actually, no. we're, we're building a memorial trail in Limnos, which um, I haven't actually visited yet. I'll be going up there before Anzac Day next year. But the Australian Department of Veterans Affairs has um, committed $4.9 million to building a memorial trail that brings together all of the sites, all of the special sites that are of significance from from that time, which is really great. And I think once it's ready, it'll be, it, you know, it'll be a wonderful place of pilgrimage for Australians who are interested in that in that World War One history. And particularly, I think it particularly honours the medical staff, which is nice because, you know, a lot of, I guess, a lot of our memorials um, honour, quite rightly, the fallen. Um, this one also honours the people who, mm. who tended to them. And how does something like that come about? Is that really a partnership between, you know, local government, you know, councils and whatnot, and people, you know, individuals, say the, the surviving families? Who, who's really pushing that? It's so many people. So this came about before my time, so I can't claim any of the credit for it. Um, but, of course, when we unveil it, it'll all be about me. No, that's a joke. <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> but, um, but, no, lots of people in Australia have campaigned for this. So there are a number of Limonian associations in Australia, as I'm sure you guys know, and they've been really active in campaigning to get this trail up and running. There was a feasibility stu- study done a few years ago um, and they found that, you know, it was all good to do it and so the federal government has funded it but, of course, we're also doing it in very close consultation with the Greek government. The Ministry of Defence here is going to, once the trail's built, they'll be responsible for maintaining it. I've sat down with both the Defence Minister and the Deputy Defence Minister to talk through all the details of this. They're being really helpful with it. We're working with the, the sub-prefect and the mayor and the community wow. of Limnos. So everybody is involved in this. Um, everybody's really excited. 
And um, the people of Limnos, I think, are really looking forward to, to having it done and seeing Australians come to experience and commemorate that, that really important event. Wow. Can you give us a little bit more insight of what the trail is? Is it Does it connect a cemetery to other parts? Give us yeah. some insights of what it, And when, when will it be complete? So it connects a number of different sites. There's a cemetery. There's a wharf, which is called Australia Wharf. Um, wow. There are graves. There are, you know, diff- there's the, the debarkation point. There's points where the, the military hospitals were. I can't give you a, an amazing picture of it yet because I haven't been there yet myself. So if I'd been there, I'd, I'd feel like sure. I could describe it a bit better. But my understanding from people who have been there is that Limnos has not very much changed since that time. Like the topography of the place is still quite similar to how it would have been in those days and so the sense is that you just get a really strong feel of what it must have been like at that time so I'm really looking forward to going there myself unfortunately haven't had the chance yet but I'll definitely get up there soon Um, and we're hoping it'll be completed next year we don't have a sort of a firm date yet, but hopefully by the end of the year we'll, we'll be good to go and people can start visiting. There'll also be an online trail. So if you can't make it to Greece, people can still, you know, have a look at the online materials, which will be on the Department of Veterans Affairs website. I mean, it won't be quite the same, obviously, but you can still see the information and see pictures and kind of understand a bit more about the story. Fantastic. Sounds great. It does, absolutely. And look, look, we probably should have prefaced this discussion by, you know, maybe starting off by saying, you know, look, you've now been in Athens for a few months now. What were your first impressions of being there and dealing with the people? What have been the highlights so far about, you know, being on the ground and having your feet under the desk now? Oh, gosh, so many highlights. I mean, Greek people are so nice. (laughs) It sounds silly to say that, but, and I knew lots of Greek people before I came, but they are genuinely warm and welcoming and just you know lovely people the philoxenia is real you know Mm. um so I've loved that I just feel I feel really welcome here which is which is really nice so that's been a highlight I arrived uh at the start of July it was minus 10 degrees in Canberra the week before I left (laughs) and it was 46 degrees here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the week <laughs> the week I arrived, so I can't really say that was a highlight. <laughs> it was pretty hot. Um, but, you know, in our first couple of days, I had a couple of days off, you know, before I started the job just to get settled and unpack and get over jet lag. Rather than doing that, we just got straight out and started seeing the sights. So I was at the Acropolis on day one, you know, up there with Fantastic. the, you know, million other tourists but it was I mean what a what a thrill to go to the Acropolis for the first time we did all the ancient sites you know dragged my 10 year old son around in the 40 degree heat he was cool (laughs) with it he loved it um yeah so just you know soaking up the vibe of Athens which is such a cool city and getting to know Athens a bit has been really really fun and the work is just, you know, it's really interesting. Um, it's my first ambassadorial position. So it's, you know, it's great to be taking up that role. In the past, I've, I've held senior positions in embassies. I've been deputy, but the first time that that I've run an embassy. So meeting my staff, they're a great team, you know, getting to know the rhythm of the embassy, getting out and meeting Greek people from the government, Mm. from academia, from business. And of course, as you guys know very well, in summer, this place is full of Aussies. (laughs) No. (laughs) So... (laughs) 
<laughs> I met quite a few of the Greek Classic. Australian yeah. community as well, which which has been really nice because um, they're a great group, um, really great great bunch of people, and they're a real asset to the relationship. You know, to have this amazing diaspora. Mm. Well, look on that point. If the census is to be believed here in Australia, they're around. 500,000 or so Aussies who identify as being of Greek heritage. And I would confidently say that 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 number would actually be much higher. How important do you think your position is in light of that, given, you know, how many Greeks there are in Australia, how many Australians there are in Greece at, at any time during the year? Yeah, it's really important because not all diasporas, I think, feel as strongly and maintain as strong a connection with their countries of origin as the Greek-Australian diaspora does. So that's the first point. The Greek-Australian diaspora has really held on to its culture, its religion, its language in a way that is so impressive and it's hard to compare to just about anything else. And so the fact that Greece remains so important to the diaspora means that this position of Australian ambassador here is really important to the Australian government, but also to the Greek government. They take us really seriously. You know, we're not, we're not a major power in Europe. We don't, you know, have a major trading relationship with Greece, but the strength of the diaspora and its importance, Uh, I think it's the third largest Greek diaspora in the world, maybe second, I'm not sure how big Canada's is. The US is definitely bigger. But we're a big deal here for that reason. And also for other reasons, you know, our historical ties beyond just the diaspora are important. The Greeks have not forgotten that, that we supported them in World War II. And that is really important to them. We are also really like minded on the world stage, like we you know, we take similar positions on on global issues and uh, we share values and those things are important too. So yeah, it is, it's an important role in a country that may not be our biggest, you know, trading partner or closest neighbour, but it certainly isn't insignificant. It's interesting, isn't it? Mm. To to think that we are so aligned in so many ways. I just wonder why that is. Is it a democratic thing? Is it a cultural thing? Like, I, I can't quite put my finger on how two countries that, you know, one so sort of rooted... Apart and yeah, be aligned in what, some way. Uh, you know, yeah. one sort of rooted in very Anglo-Saxon roots and the other one, you know, still Western, but obviously, you know, very European roots, you know, have such close ties. Similar do, you have, yeah. do you have a view on that, Alison? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it is values-based, you know. We, we're, we're democratic countries. We believe in the rule of law. We believe in countries not being able to bully each other we believe in international institutions all those things are important but I think too just the fact that they're you know two percent of Australia's population is Greek that rubs off a little bit you know I'm not saying that that Australia is Greek although I'm sure plenty of people would because everything's Greek right um. exactly <laughs> we didn't have to say it no yeah, but, <laughs> but no, um, you know, it, I think that diaspora has really contributed to the formation of the, the Australian personality as well. Uh, it's, it's funny how when I talk to Greeks who have visited Australia, um, the first thing they say is it's such a long way away. <laughs> you know, so far. <laughs> Always. <laughs> but then the next thing they say is I felt so at home there. You know, and maybe it's because they went to visit their cousins, but yeah. maybe it's because, you know, they get to Australia and it doesn't feel very foreign to them. That's part of it. It's a bit indefinable, mm. but I, I think that's part of it. We're, we're just similar people. Um, yeah. I mean, there's differences, obviously, but mm. um, 
yeah, we don't drive quite as crazily as, <laughs> as Greeks do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're so right true. about that. We can't argue with that. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, look, it, it might have something to do with the Greek diaspora. When they came over, they've assimilated into all parts of Australian society. That may have rubbed off a bit. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? But it's interesting. It's, um, yeah. I think we are quite similar. So that is that is something that underpins the relationship. So how would you describe diplomatic relations between the two countries at the moment? They're great. When you agree on most things, diplomatic relations are good. We really value Greece. Greece really values us. You know, we support each other on on issues of importance. Um, and, you know, it makes my job, I wouldn't say easy, like you, your job's never easy, but um, it certainly makes my job a pleasure. And, you know, when there are difficulties, they can usually be resolved. So you said earlier you've been in the position for four, uh, for four months now. Uh, what would you say your biggest challenge would be as an ambassador? It's been a pretty tough summer for Greece. I'm sure you're very well aware of the fires and the floods that, that happened here. That fire up in the north, I mean, everyone in Australia was probably focusing on roads and maybe Corfu because that's where, that was in the news, right? That's where all the tourists were being Correct. evacuated from. But the fire in Evros up in the north of Greece that was the largest burnt area in Europe this year. Um, wow. Yeah, it was the biggest fire Greece has ever had, I think. And it killed people, but it also burnt a huge amount of, you know, forest. Um, it affected infrastructure. And those kind of things are tough, right? I was certainly when roads, the roads fire was happening, I was expecting that there would be Australians there that would need assistance. There were 19,000 tourists evacuated from roads during those few days of the fire. None of them were Australian, or if they were, they didn't come to our attention. We were calling the emergency lines constantly to, to find out whether there were any Australians involved. We were putting messages mm-hmm. on our social media. But there were very few Australians affected by those fires. So luckily for us and for them, but, you know, when something like that happens, it can become a very challenging situation for an embassy trying to, trying to help people in such large numbers. So the British embassy and the German embassy and the Swiss embassy were all very busy, but, um, you know, we were, we were in a constant state of readiness. Um, yeah. But in the end, uh, we, we didn't actually have to to do that much other than to continually kind of get the messaging out there to help people understand uh, where the risks were and, um, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I mean, disasters are often the biggest challenge when you're at an embassy. Any kind of crisis, whether it's a natural disaster or some other kind of crisis, that's, that's usually the toughest, um, mm-hmm. the toughest thing mm-hmm. to handle, especially when it involves large numbers of Australians. So what are one of the common things you get asked to do or your office would be inundated with? What's, what's the everyday stuff you get? Well, maybe you could give some advice to Australians. Yeah, sure. Well, when it comes to assisting Australians, uh, that's a big part of our job here. We haven't seen the latest numbers yet, but pre-COVID there were around, there were over 300,000 Australians travelling to Greece every year. And we're probably back around those numbers now. We haven't... Um, we haven't seen the this year's numbers yet, but um, so that's quite a lot. A lot of them lose their passports, um, or or 
have their passports stolen. That's um, been an increasing problem, especially in Athens. So uh, one piece of advice to Australians is just to be really careful with your belongings. I mean, they get other stuff stolen too, but passports is sometimes they don't come to us if it's something else that's been stolen, but obviously a passport, they need us. So they turn up on Monday morning and along with, you know, quite a lot of other people who all need emergency passports. So, and obviously we can help them with that, but you know, it it costs them money. It's, it's not very nice. So, you know, people just need to be really careful with their belongings. You know, don't, don't sling your bag over the back of your chair when you're out at a, at a taverna in Plaka. Be careful when you're on the metro even Airbnbs, you know, leaving leaving valuables in your Airbnb. Um, we've had a few robberies from Airbnbs the last summer. So that's one of the things people do. Another one of the things, and you guys can probably relate to this because I seem to remember a story. Uh, I can't remember which one of you did this. Um, but riding, <laughs> for example, riding a motorbike <laughs> without well, protection. <laughs> Well, I had my thongs and some George footy shorts on. Yeah. That was enough protection. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. It's funny. People go overseas on a holiday and they just think that, like, they can do anything. They're bulletproof. Yeah. And they, they might not do that back home in Sydney. But here in Greece, they think nothing will happen to them. And, of course, something happens to them. They fall off and they end up not being able to sit, sit down for a week because they've scraped all the skin off their bum. Um, That's right. So... Um, You know, we do have a lot of hospitalisations. You know, people end up in hospital and they need help from the embassy for whatever reason, you know, because there's a language barrier or because, you know, they're really sick because they need to be medically evacuated to Australia. And the most important thing, other than not wearing thongs on the motorbike, is having travel insurance. Um, Yes. You know, I think a lot of people just kind of, especially if you're a dual citizen, Like a lot of people think, oh, I don't need travel insurance, I'm going to Greece. But something happens to you, you you do. If you don't have insurance, you've got to pay for it. And if paying for it involves a medically assisted flight back to Australia, that's a lot of money. So taking out travel insurance before you come is never a silly idea. And it's really not that expensive when you compare it to the cost that you might have to um, cough up if something happens to you, including things like having your passport stolen or... You know, travel insurance covers all of that. So that's one of the really big pieces of advice we give people. On average, how many people would show up in a desperate sort of situation where they don't have travel insurance or, you know, they they don't have any of these safeguards in place? I'm guessing that your hands are more or less tied in a lot of these situations. A lot of people don't have travel insurance and it's a pretty rude shock for them when they discover that, you know, the Greek government's not going to pay for whatever they need. A lot of the hospitals here won't even admit you unless you pay up front, unless you can either show that you have travel insurance or you pay up front. So that is a pretty rude shock for people. We help people to try and get access to the funds. So we would help them try and contact family members or friends or their employer or their bank to try and get access to funds that they may have back home. But yeah, you know, the Australian government, you know, we're not we're not a bank for for Australian travellers overseas. And so we, we help people as much as we can. 
but but we can't pay all their costs for them. So that's why, you know, travel insurance might cost you 80 bucks or something. I'm not even sure. The, yeah. um, it depends on the length of your trip and where you're going. But, you know, it's not a huge cost and um, it is a massive peace of mind in the event that something happens. Even if it's just your luggage getting stolen, even if you're not injured, it's good to have that peace of mind. Well, one, one good piece of advice that I can sort of give, you know, to, to anyone listening is, some banks will actually allow you to get free travel insurance if, if you purchase your airfare with their, you know, credit card. via their, their credit, credit card. card. Yeah. So get onto that. I mean, you know, it'll, it'll make the process much easier, won't it, Nick? Mm, definitely. All right. So keep an eye on your passport, get travel insurance and have a helmet on if you're riding a moped <laughs> and in shoes that's right don't wear some george shorts <laughs> just, it sounds just don't religious wear them but it anyway. doesn't help <laughs> who do you support come on allison <laughs> canberra raiders who do you go for I, i'm actually girl? i'm i'm How a victorian feel? so i'm a i'm a carlton supporter actually okay um well, yeah they did all right this year didn't they they the did but you know sadly the decades of disappointment do continue um <laughs> <laughs> as a carlton supporter it's been a very long time since our glory days but um i'm also having lived in canberra for a while a brumbies supporter so okay, um, still okay. not the rugby. same code but yeah um <laughs> but let's not talk we'll about it. the rugby world cup because that was a yeah. bit of a no, 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 no 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 <laughs> that will cause a diplomatic incident the, yeah let's just leave that one <laughs> off the table we'll just talk about the, exactly. the soccer female soccer team that's it the matildas exactly. they did fantastic the matildas were brilliant <laughs> yeah. and athens they was were. loving the matildas too i went down to the Weren't athens they? sports bar for the last game the matildas played and it was packed out with aussies cheering them on it was really cool atmosphere well we were there during that time obviously and the level of interest in that team was unbelievable wasn't mm, it Nick? Exactly. we saw it firsthand didn't we yeah and Philip were missing out because we were in Greece we should have been at home <laughs> yeah it's great absolutely yes they filled stadiums and yeah. yeah and I think they played before 60,000 this week in Australia against the Philippines or something so you know it's, they're, it's, they're breaking a lot of records yeah, yeah it's brilliant Great for women's football. No, Fantastic. Definitely. So, look, Australians say are they well behaved in Greece generally, in particular Greece and uh, EOS? <laughs> <laughs> look, I can't Not speak to point EOS. the finger. <laughs> I haven't been to EOS yet. But, yeah, no. It might look, have changed. I, I do ask this question when I, you know, visit tourist places. Um, you know, are the Australians behaving themselves? And I'm always told yes. Um, Australians are very popular tourists here you know they they like to have Australian tourists I think they're generally pretty pretty well behaved they spend well they're respectful of the local culture and um, and that's fantastic you know it means that we've got 300,000 ambassadors for Australia every year coming through I'm sure there's the odd one who you know makes a fool of themselves on the dance floor in Mykonos or falls <laughs> off a <laughs> falls off a motorbike in EOS but oh, no. um <laughs> <laughs> and scratches up the bike and pretends they didn't do it. Um, but uh, <laughs> did I actually say that on the podcast? I think you did. did. Yeah, but no. It. In general, they are pretty good. Like the, the cases we have are just people who've been unfortunate. You know, most of the time we we don't have cases of people behaving terribly and and us having to kind of try and help help sort things out um, with the police. Generally, people are. 
people are pretty well behaved and just come here to have a good time, you know, mm. and have fun and, and enjoy themselves. And that's great. Because it just reminded me of a story. I was in um, Honduras. Again, it was a work trip. Be careful what you say here because no, no, it's okay. <laughs> people are keeping I don't tabs. work for that employer anymore, but <laughs> it was actually a work trip. And we got, uh, it was to do with the Socceroos. They were playing Honduras, in Honduras. And we're in a box and we were there with the ambassador of that area. I don't think they were based in Honduras, but would have been Costa Rica, one of those local countries. And as we're watching the game, I could see him on my left looking to his left. And the game was over there on the right. I go, are you watching the game? And he goes, no, no, I'm watching them down there. And there was a bunch of Aussies in the corner. And they're cheering <laughs> and they're drinking and he's, and he's rubbing his forehead. He goes, oh, no. I said, what is it? Because they're fine. They're having a good time. He goes, yeah, no, this is not the place where you want to be silly and get in trouble. So at half time, he actually went down and he spoke to them. God, and he gave them the rundown. He goes, look, celebrate, do what you have to do. But... You know, you shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. We're in a foreign country. If something happens, this is what's going to happen to you. And then mm. second half, they all behaved. <laughs> so oh, well, there you go. Worked. Yeah, it worked. it worked. Very interesting. Yeah, it was. But, yeah, just watching, and this is the ambassador's role. He looked nervous and, you know, and sweating. Oh, you know, and I thought... Just watch the game, and he goes, "No, no, yeah. that's my job down there. I've got to keep an eye on these Aussies." And so he went yeah. down like the headmaster and he did. laid down the law. Yeah, but he looked good. He, they were laughing. I could see he went down, and you know, I couldn't hear what they were saying, but he had his hand movements, and they're all laughing and smiling, and yeah, and, and, it, and it worked. So cool. it made me yeah. think of you now and your role. So you haven't there had to do anything like that yet. <laughs> well, you know, no, no, I don't. But um, no. you do, you do want your nationals to behave well in foreign countries because it's never a good look for Australia if our if our people are running rampant and doing silly things and getting mm. into the media for the wrong reasons. So, um, fortunately, um, that that doesn't happen too often here. Well, you said something very important earlier that we have something like three hundred thousand good ambassadors. Is that the way that you see? Australians abroad is everyone uh, an ambassador for the country when they when they step outside of this country of course they are I mean you think about it in Australia when foreigners come to Australia that's often the only time you would ever meet someone from that country and if they behave badly if they're rude to you if they throw their rubbish on the side of the road if they if they do offensive things you think oh you know People from that country are awful, you know, and it's the same Point. for Australians overseas. Um, if they behave well, it, it it really promotes a good image of Australia and if they behave badly, then, you know, we, we don't look so good. So it is important to us, uh, whose, whose actual job it is, <laughs> to be ambassadors for Australia that um, Aussie citizens do their bit and um, help us help us look good. And on the whole, they do. Fantastic to hear. Look, do you ever get any issues of dual citizens getting conscripted into the Greek army? Do they ever come and reach out for you for help? Since I've been here, no, but certainly that is something that Greek Australians need to be aware of because my understanding is that even if you're not sure whether you're a citizen, like if you, you might not have the papers, if you turn up in Greece and you meet the criteria, you could be expected to do military service. And if you don't want to, you should think twice about whether you come and spend the amount of time here that I think it's, what is it, three months or something like that? I should know that. 
Um, yeah, we should too because we had uh, yeah. the consul general. <laughs> was it yeah. three? Yeah, yeah. I, think I think it was. I'm sure it was. I think it's yeah. three. Um, but you so got to be a Greek just, citizen. Yeah, you do. But you know, you can be a Greek citizen. Your parents need to have declared your registered birth, you. registered your yeah. birth in Greece. And yes. if that hasn't happened, for all intents and purposes, you are just an Australian. Yeah, is a, yeah. It was was uh, the consul general's line. Yeah. But you can but, get Greek citizenship. Mm. So Absolutely. I guess it depends how strictly they enforce that. And that's up to the Greek government, you know, and maybe that changes from time to time. We have to be careful not to advise people about stuff that the Greek government is responsible for because mm. if they then change the rules or apply them differently, there's nothing the Australian government can do about that. So, yeah. But the other thing that would interest, um, I'm sure, some of your listeners who are Greek citizens or have the ability to become Greek citizens is that the Greek government's um, just recently made it easier to vote in national elections for Greeks living overseas. So you have to be a citizen, so you've got to have your paperwork, and then you have to enrol to vote. And so that's a process uh, that you have to go through and, and you can get advice on that from the Greek embassy or consulates in Australia. But then you can vote and there's no residency requirement. There's no Previously there was like a tax return requirement that's gone now. You just have to be a citizen and enrolled to vote. So the Greek government's keen, obviously, for the diaspora to participate um, in their national elections. So they've made it easier for people to do that. Well, at some stage, they did say that you needed to have lived in Greece, I think, in the last five or seven years or something like that, or, or have right. you know, put a tax return in at some point yeah. during, that, during that period. I'm not sure whether that's still in um, No, that's so that's changed place, so. now. The last election that happened in May, that was the mm. law then. But since then, they've changed the law to yeah, make right. it easier. So now you, there's no residency requirement. You just have to um, to meet those requirements of citizenship and enrolment and um, you can go ahead and vote. And I think um, the Greek government opens polling stations at all of their missions in Australia. So some people won't want to, but... Um, but it is easier now, I think, for a Greek Australians who want to vote here. It's available if you want to. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Look, just on the, the Greek National Service, so my son had to go through that. So I didn't want to take any risk because he's a Greek citizen as well. So he had to have a permanent residency certificate. And uh, it was quite simple. So if there's any Greek Australians out there who are turning, I think it's 18 or 19, you may get a letter. And if you do, just to prevent that, just get your permanent residency certificate before you leave. The only catch for us was we needed a international movement record from the Australian government, but that took 30 days. So that was a bit of a shock for us. So don't leave it to a, a last minute thing. So once you've got your movement record, you can go to the consulate, fill out a form, and I think it's only a day or two. So if anyone's out there, I've gone through it. So, and Mike, would you believe my youngest son got her letter from the Greek government? Is that right? So he's 18 in next month. He I got a letter saying, come do national service. Correct, yeah. Ah, and I showed it. I go, mate, if you don't get a job, mate. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to the army. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he thought, oh, great, I could be on Santorini. Mika, I go, no, no, you'll probably nah. be in the mountains somewhere. You'll be on Everest, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some pretty nice places you can go to. I, um, I, in the summer I went to Castellorizo, which I'm sure many of your listeners um, are familiar Definitely. with. Beautiful island, lots of Aussies. Um, in fact, the population these days of Castellorizo is 300. But mm. um, I think there's 80,000. Yeah, there's 80,000 <laughs> Cassies. 
in Australia, <laughs> which is incredible. Um, but, you know, there's quite a big naval contingent there and I think mm. a lot of them are people on their military service. So that wouldn't be a bad place to end up if you, uh, if you decided to yeah. fulfil your obligation to, to the mother country. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that raises an interesting question, though. So obviously, you, again, you've only been in the job four months, but you know, you've done a little bit of, uh, of, of moving. Do you have a, a favourite island or a favourite destination yet? Oh, that would be undiplomatic to say, wouldn't it? Oh, okay. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> no, <laughs> Maybe look, a top five. Yeah, <laughs> top five. Well, I absolutely. My my son, who's ten, told me that Castellorizo was paradise. And he absolutely loved it. And when we went to Santorini a couple of months later, he said, oh, it's not as good as Castellori. So really? <laughs> I wow. want to go back there. Wow. Yeah, it is it is a wonderful place. But we've done some great trips in the Peloponnese as well, which we really loved. It's such, I mean, you know, such a beautiful part of Greece. We've done a lot of the Peloponnese. It's big. We haven't been everywhere, but we really enjoyed that. And just recently we went up to Zagorohoria, the little villages up in northern Greece that are sort of 17th century villages, stone bridges, absolutely just phenomenal, beautiful hiking, really, really gorgeous. Um, we went up to Delphi for the full moon oh, um, at the end of August. The Greek government opens some of the archaeological sites for the full moons in August. And I'd seen that they were doing that. And so it was a Thursday, finished work. We jumped in the car, drove up to Delphi and just went up and, you know, were able to go into the archaeological site at night and watch the full moon rise over over Delphi which was just magical that was that was really cool but you know some of the experiences as well like we went to a play at Epidavros at the ancient theatre which was really awesome and we've been to the Herodian a couple of times in Athens to see you know ballet and music and it it almost doesn't matter what you watch it's just these sitting in these ancient theatres just soaking it up is is amazing actually the first time we went to the Herodian it was funny it was summer I think it was still about 40 degrees at 11 (laughs) p.m. we're we're listening to the Athens Symphony Orchestra and there's this cricket like competing (laughs) with the orchestra So there'd be these silent moments, you know, like really um, loud music and then a moment of silence and the crickets still buzzing away (laughs) in the background. It was (laughs) it was quite funny. I mean, there's so much of Greece that is amazing and and wonderful to see. And next summer, I'm looking forward to going to Kithira and Kalimnos. You know, I'm sure I'll meet a few Aussies while I'm there. And that's part of the plan is (laughs) is to go during the summer so I can meet some of the diaspora who come back to visit the islands that are important to them. So that'll be really nice. And next Fantastic. year, Australia is the country of honour at the Beyond Borders International Documentary Film Festival in Castellorizo. Oh, wow. So I'll I'll be going back to Castellorizo again next summer, much to my son's delight, because he <laughs> he, he will come to and um, he'll he'll have a wonderful time there again. I'm sure while Mum works. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Look, yeah. just, just with your son, has he fitted in in Athens? And I believe there's a couple of English schools and there's a, like a, a lot of Australians actually live in Athens permanently now. Do you have yeah. much connection with them and has he fitted into these schools? He goes to a British school, but the students are 60% Greek, which is great because it's hard to put your kid into the public school system as a diplomat because 
you know, they can't immediately be expected to, to speak the language and it's, it's too hard for them. But in the British school, it means he gets to learn in English, but there's heaps of Greek kids. So he's not separate from, from the local community, which we really like. So he's got friends. He's got lots of Greek friends. He plays soccer with the Greek boys and, you know, he plays chess with some of the, <laughs> some of the international kids. And, you know, he's got a few little groups that he hangs out with and he's learning Greek. I'm sure he'll learn it quicker than me because, you know, he'll be more immersed in it. Whereas, you know, I work in English, so I'm having weekly lessons, but, you know, it's slow. So yeah, he's loving it. He absolutely loves it. He was really into the, um, the Percy Jackson books. It's um, okay, it's, yeah. it's a sort of kids' literature. It's based on the ancient Greek gods and heroes, and he's into it. So we'll go to an archaeological site, and he'll be telling us all about that god, and you know what they did, and who smote whom, and um, <laughs> so a lot of smoting happening. <laughs> lots of <laughs> lots of smiting. So he loves it. He's really happy to be here, and we're lucky in that respect because if you have a miserable kid, you can have a miserable miserable assignment. But um, when your family's happy, it makes it a lot easier to. To, to have a good time. Well, I wanted to stay on that sort of theme because I don't think a lot of people, and to be fair, not even we really understand the level of sacrifice required to do what you're doing. And, you know, all, all ambassadors, I remember I used to go to university with a girl whose father was the Romanian ambassador to Australia many years ago. And her experience was very mixed in terms of, you know, moving around a lot and, you know, not being able to plant roots anywhere. What is the level of sacrifice that you need to put into this? And what's it like to be in a position like this? You know, there's always pros and cons in anything you do, right? But I guess the first thing I'll say is what an amazing experience it is to have the opportunity to to be an Australian diplomat. So, you know, there's Absolutely. tough time, there's tough aspects to it. But uh, for me, the pros have always outweighed the cons. Um, for me, being able to have the opportunity to live in another country and represent Australia in that country, but also, you know, on weekends, go to Nafpliotis to, you know, to, you know, have a bit of fun seeing old Venetian castle, go to, mm. go to Delphi to see the full moon. I mean, that's amazing. So it is a privilege is the first thing I'd say, but certainly it's also a sacrifice. Like, my husband can work remotely and does, but it took him a bit of time, you know, after we first became a couple for him to create a career for himself that he could move around the world. So he sort of had to try out a few careers for a while there before he got to a position where he was able to take his job with him and that's working out well now. And yeah, kids are often the toughest uh, the toughest aspect of that and some kids are more resilient than others. Some kids just don't want to go on a posting and if that were the case, we wouldn't be here. We had a pretty tough pandemic. We were uh, I mean, a lot of people had a tough pandemic, but we were in Indonesia. There was a decision by the foreign minister that all of the dependents, so the families of the diplomats had to leave, you know, f because of risk. Um, wow. And that was a, a reasonable decision to take. And a lot of our staff also left and worked remotely. I remained in Jakarta. So I was separated from my family for nine months, you know, in 2020. And that, and that was tough. Uh, my son was six at the time. Um, and oh, wow. yeah, so it took him a little while to get over that, you know, once I, once we were finally able to be reunited, it took him a while to be comfortable with 
not being with me all the time. And so we weren't sure whether we'd do another posting for a while, but, uh, you know, there came a certain point where he said, I'm ready to go overseas again. (laughs) (laughs) He's a smart kid. He knows the the benefits. (laughs) In fact, fact, he said to me, can we go to Solomon Islands, Mum? I I want to go on a posting to Solomon Islands because he knew that that's where my husband and I met and we talk about it a lot, you know. It's a place that we had a really amazing experience. And, and so he's got FOMO. Like, it was before he was born, but he's, <laughs> he, he's got this FOMO about Solomon Islands. He, he's built it up in his mind as this amazing place. And so he's like, I want to go to Solomon Islands because it's not fair that yeah. you and Dad lived there without me, even though I hadn't been born then. So, um, he, you know, it, it, it doesn't quite work like that. You can't just say, I want to go to Solomon Islands and then off you. Yeah. No, so, so he, but he was okay with Greece as a <laughs> as a consolation prize. So. It's not bad. Let's let's be no, honest. I, I reckon it's a pretty good consolation prize, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> what do you think that sort of experience does for a young kid? I mean, forget you know, it's not necessarily a personal question. More in the sense of Australians, maybe they're going on a student exchange or something like that. What are they actually getting out of being in a place like Greece? I mean, you mentioned. There, you know, being at the Herodium there and Epidavros and whatnot and, and experiencing something that people would have experienced thousands of years ago in the same setting. What do you think that really does for education and for, and, and for, for kids in general experiencing that? Well, you know, I can speak from a bit of experience because I was an exchange student myself. Um, mm, when okay. I was 16, I lived in Switzerland for a year. So I learnt French there. I went to school there and in French and lived with a host family in a small village. It wasn't sort of the picture you have in your minds of Switzerland, you know, in the Alps with, you know, flowers and snow. It was in the in, in cow country. Um, <laughs> I could always smell cows, you know. <laughs> Which And to this day, the smell of cows brings back fond memories for me because it smells like Switzerland. But um, uh, I was in a very small village of 300 people. But um, it was the making of me, you know, like I just... And it's a different experience to being a diplomat's kid because as an exchange student, you're not on your own, but it's you sort of thrust into a foreign environment and you have to sink or swim. Whereas as a diplomat's kid, you go to an international school, you've got the support, you know, of your parents and but you're also younger. My son's only 10. I think it's an amazing experience. I, I am very conscious that he also needs to have roots We have talked as a family about the fact that after this posting, we may not do another one while he's still at school. We might decide that for high school, he needs to just stay in Australia so that he can have friends that continue, you know, for the for the rest of high school and just sort of build those roots. But at the same time, we've also said to him, but if you you want to go, (laughs) um, we're up for it. So, but they do learn so much. You know, we we went to Mikinis or Mycenae as as English speakers call it and he did a school project on Mikinis and so we go there and he's telling us all about it. You know, he's like, oh, these are the Cyclopean walls and they're called the Cyclopean walls because the stones are so big that the only way they could have been moved was by Cyclops. You know, he's learnt this stuff in school and then we go there and he gets to see it in the flesh and I just think that's amazing. Like, Can you imagine? Yeah. (laughs) The educational experience that that gives you and, okay, I guess all Greek kids can have that. Um, In Australia we don't have Cyclopean walls but we have other stuff that you can 
learn. But um, I guess it's just that the diversity of experiences that he gets to have. He's learning Greek. He's seeing the world from a different perspective. And I, I think that can be nothing but good for him as he grows up. I hope that's the case because otherwise I, I get a big fail as a parent. But, um, no, no, absolutely <laughs> but, not. You like you're very worldly by the end of this. Absolutely. Yeah, Full I of experiences. So. What kid would have that kind of experience growing up? How good would it have been? Think back to the classroom, you know, when you were, when you were there or when I was there in history class and you're hearing about all of these places mm. and then all of a sudden you can You're be there, there. Mm. yeah it's so live it breathe it and, and yeah. to your point Alison I mean the you know the idea that Greek kids get it every day my observation personally is that it's not quite the same thing in the sense that they are used to it and for us particularly for you know for Greeks of the diaspora for you know even for myself who was born in Australia you look at it completely differently you have a different appreciation my wife who was born in Greece will look at the, at the Parthenon and say okay <laughs> Yeah. whatever whereas <laughs> whatever. I'm sitting there going wow you know and and absolutely yeah. geeking out over it you know yeah. what I mean it is yeah. a very different approach it's the same with anyone right familiarity breeds contempt in Australia we probably don't marvel at the incredible indigenous art that's tens of True. thousands of years old that we have on our well not on our doorstep Australia's a big country so unless you live in Kakadu <laughs> you might not have as close access to it but you know maybe we all take for granted a bit the things on our door step but you know my my local staff here at the embassy are constantly amazed that every weekend we're in the car off somewhere to check out something or we're in a museum we, we can't go past a museum <laughs> so, that is fantastic yeah. there's just so much to see and it's such a beautiful country and we've only got three years so we're making the most of it <laughs> good for you got an opportunity to do it why not and thankfully, my husband is game to drive here because uh, I have <laughs> I have driven once. <laughs> no animals, people, or infrastructure were harmed in the process, but it won't happen again. <laughs> Surely, you get one of the one of those fancy cars with Australian flags on them. Well, that's only for work use. Okay, um, I don't get to take that out on the weekends, True. and we only put the flag on for special occasions. Okay, all right. So we've learnt something. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, look, just on that, being an ambassador, do you get to meet all the other ambassadors from other countries, and do you invite yeah. each other to certain events, and do you we actually do. compare the events? Like, you know, <laughs> do we compete? Yeah, do you compete? Like who had the better food? one upmanship. Who had the better music? You know, who had the better of atmosphere? Course. Yeah. Of course we do. It's a click of ambassadors. <laughs> oh, we've got to go yeah, to the French no. one again this week. No. <laughs> <laughs> if there's anything wrong yeah. with the French, we love the French. Absolutely. We love the French. I certainly do meet the other ambassadors and, you know, they're, they're a really important sort of group for me to know. I mean, obviously the most important is is my hosts, the Greeks, but the other ambassadors can be really useful sources of insight when you're new to a place and you're trying to quickly understand what's going on, what the place is about, who I should meet. It's really good to meet with your fellow ambassadors. And also sometimes we do things in concert, you know, like we do things together, we cooperate on stuff. So yeah, it's a really good group of ambassadors here. I haven't met them all yet. There's a lot of them, but I've met quite a few. And um, and yeah, you know, there's probably a little bit of healthy competition. <laughs> we're, we're all way too diplomatic to actually say, ha, I beat you. <laughs> My dinner was better than yours. <laughs> Classic. But I'm sure that secretly we think it, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Love it. 
So, so would you have to say do something for Australia Day, for example, and you'd invite them all over? So, what would you do for Australia Day, for example? What, how would the setup be? Would you have like Vegemite or a surfboard or something like that? <laughs> you got to yeah. try it before you um, come in, you know. <laughs> Some countries do things for their national days, and others don't. Um, I probably won't have a big function for Australia Day. There's a few reasons for it. One is that big functions cost a lot of money. Whereas you can have lots of littler functions and it's just a lot more cost effective. You know, I'm, I'm spending Australian taxpayers' money here and um, I want to use it wisely. And big functions, you know, they can be really great, but the, your ability to then sort of talk to people and, and do the things that you need to do is constrained by the number of people who are there. So I probably won't host a really big function. Some embassies do um, and, you know, often the most number of people who are there are other ambassadors. So, you know, I'm here to engage with the Greek government. They are always going to be my focus. So I, so far, have done a lot more smaller events with um, often one-on-one, with ministers, with business people, academics. Um, And I find that really useful because then you get to have a proper conversation. No one's Mm. been careful about what they say and so you get to build a real really good rapport with people. That's not to say that larger events aren't worthwhile and I think probably the largest um, thing that I will do will be Anzac Day actually. Uh, Um, So we haven't been able to host functions for Anzac Day for the last few years because of COVID but we will will, um, commemorate Anzac Day next year um, at the Phaleron in, in Athens, and I will host something for that. So that will be, you know, uh, the Greek government will be invited. I'm sure Australians who are here will, will want to attend that as well. That'll probably be the, the largest event that I do regularly while I'm here. But we'll see. I mean, you know, sometimes you just take advantage of events as well. I'm currently talking to to lots of different people about sort of events that we could hold, for example, with Australia, Greek Australian chefs, you know, potentially to come and do a collaboration here in Greece with, you know, different sort of creative people. We, we host a lot of things like um, we hosted a book launch recently for Effie Alexakis. Um, yes, we saw. We launched. Had her on the show. Yeah, that was brilliant. So, so we host a lot of things like that as well. We support things like film festivals. We support Australian culture in Greece. Um, yeah, we, th- those are the kinds of things we do. Greek Australian podcasts, for example, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, actually, um, actually, I uh, caught up with Peter Meneas recently, oh, who oh, is yeah. here. Um, Classic. And uh, we're working together on some cool things, actually, which I, I probably shouldn't announce now. But, um, yeah, we, we've been talking about some things that we could do, drawing on all of the fantastic um, work he's done with, with his TV show, My Greek Odyssey. So, yeah, that's, I mean, what a great show. Between Uzo Talk and My Greek Odyssey, that was my research <laughs> Uh, well, that well, and reading Herodotus, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, watch yeah, this space, so. obviously. I mean, if, if Peter's working on something and, uh, and you're involved, be it's going to well, yeah. be big. Let me caveat that it's not a new thing, but we're just looking at using um, using some of the show to work with the Greek government to help promote some of the lesser known tourist places here. I mean, you know, I think Peter's the one who who says um, most people think Greece has only got six islands. Mm. There's so many beautiful places here that are less, um, less you know, busy and, and are really worth visiting. So, yeah, working with him so that to get eyes on his show, but also to help 
to help the Greek government show off some of these um, wonderful places that are a bit less known. Well, if anyone knows about that sort of stuff, it's definitely him. So, you know, it's a yeah. it's a great example of utilising the, the expertise of people, you know, who have that dual sort of identity, let's say. You know, so, yeah, the, yeah. the Greek government and the Australian government obviously would do well to sort of harness that, wouldn't they? Yeah, and there's so much of that in the diaspora. Like, I've met some amazing people here in Greece, but also among the Greek Australian diaspora, like, you know, people like Peter, like, I mean, Nick Andriotakis, have you yes. guys had him on the yeah, podcast? A number yeah. of times. Twice. How cool is he? Yeah. You know, so for those who don't know about Nick, like, he's basically an, an absolute expert on World War II in Crete. Mm. And the research he's doing in his own time at his own expense to sort of uncover who the diggers were um, and to to put together. Obviously, you guys yeah. have covered this, so, so you know in much campaign. more detail than me. Yeah. Well, the, the episode we did with him lasted three and a half hours mm. on that topic. <laughs> right, okay, okay. I think we'll probably <laughs> right, be let, gibbering Tom not... <laughs> on that one because we had, he brought in yeah. his moonshine tickle the art, remember? He brought in a few. He had a few bottles. <laughs> <laughs> because as we went through World War Two, he goes, well, this part of the region, they drink this, yeah. and on this island, they drink yeah. that, and then... <laughs> It's as good an excuse as any. Yeah. <laughs> dangerous. He's a dangerous man. He but, is. you know, there's so many he cool is. people like that. There's, you know, Peter Canistas, who I think you also had yeah, did. on yeah. the show from from um, Plus, who, Plus Restaurant in Sydney. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, can we do something? Can we do some kind of collaboration on food? So just being able to draw on people like that is amazing. So uh, having Effie up here to launch her book. Um, so Effie's done a lot of really cool books about Greeks in Australia. And the one that we launched was, um, it was basically about, it was a photograph from every year for 40 years since she had started documenting the Greek diaspora in Australia. It's called 40 Photographs and it's just, it's such a beautiful book, really. I mean, amazing photos but amazing stories as well and and her partner, Leonard, is the historian who's written the stories and um, really moving. I really encourage people to have a look at that book. We can vouch um, for that because, as we said, we we also had Effie and Leonard on the show and we've got a copy of the book. It is amazing. It's beautiful. It sounds like we're sort of operating in similar circles here. Yeah, exactly. It does. <laughs> Which can only be a good thing. Sorry, I'm telling you about all these. No. <laughs> I'm telling you about all these people you no, already no, know no, about. Absolutely. But um, I mean, there's so many, and I don't want to offend people by not mentioning them. But we'd be here all day if I went through all the amazing Greek Australians I've come across, and composers, and musicians, and artists. There's this. There's this guy. Have you heard of Luca Lesson? Oh, I have. Heard of him? I've, I have heard of him. Yes. Yeah. Who is he? Ah, no, but you haven't, haven't had him no. on the show, right? <laughs> Sounds like not yet. So Luca, he is he is a slam poetry guy. So like sort of it's that interface between rap and poetry and hip hop, you know. And um, he did a performance up here uh, and launched a book. Uh, so he's got several volumes of, of poetry um, that he has um, published and he did a performance up here and it was so moving. It was amazing. Like, among other things, he has done the Iliad wow. in, in yeah, rap. Wow. <laughs> like, really? how cool is that? It's just this beautiful fusion of sort of ancient Greek, Aussie. Um, it's, it's amazing. He's from, his family's from Rhodes. He came up here and was on Rhodes for a few months this summer, but I think he's back in Sydney now, so you should get him... You should get him in to do a podcast. Absolutely. I mean, how, how proud does it make you to see so many, uh, so many talented Greek Australians, you know, using what talents they have, you know, for the betterment of both communities? 
so proud. I mean, it's so great. You know, it's really, and it is quite unique. Like, uh, I don't know if the Greek Australian community realise how unique they are um, in that. And it's funny, the British ambassador here is a good mate of mine. He's a lovely guy. And every time I see him, you know, Greece and, and the UK have got a pretty significant relationship. But every time I see him, he's just like, I'm so jealous of Alison's diaspora. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like he's, it's not fair. <laughs> you've, you've got this amazing yeah. diaspora and, it, you know, it's like, yeah, I know. It's awesome. Um, and it, it really does, it, it really does put a different um, construct on the way that you do your job as an ambassador when you have this amazing group of people to draw from, to celebrate, to highlight their achievements. And that's one of the things I want to do here is to highlight the achievements of Greek Australians and to show how they've contributed to modern Australia. And it's not all, I mean, you know, cooking, (laughs) obviously, we all love Greek food, but it's not all just about food, right? It's about all the great things that Greek Australians have done and contributed to the Australian community. And that is such a win for us. And it's a real win for the relationship with Greece because the Greeks care about what happened to their diaspora. And that's maybe another thing that is a little bit unique. Like, I think the Greeks care, perhaps more than some other countries, about the fate of the people who left this country to go to other places. And they appreciate Australia for having given them homes. You know, it's just a beautiful part of the relationship. So I feel very lucky and wow, proud. That's amazing. Sorry to say, Alison, now that you've, you've mentioned that, the, the Greek Australians are quite successful. As you know, in Australia, you're going to get inundated by calls once we release this episode. <laughs> Every successful Greek Australian is like, oh, oh, I'm going to ring up Alison. I've got an opportunity. They're all opportunists, as you know. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to put out your email or anything like that. Uh, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't put yeah. my mobile phone on the... <laughs> we promise. I do um, spend a lot of my time um, meeting people from the community and, and I love the fact that a lot of people get in touch when they're, when they're coming over. I don't always have, have the time to meet everyone. I mean, I do a bit of travel for starters because you, you mentioned at the start and but I haven't actually said anything about it. I'm also ambassador to Romania and Bulgaria. So I have to visit those countries. And, you know, I, I, I move around Greece a little bit, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff to do and, and it's not all about the Greek Australian community as much as they are wonderful and um, a real asset. So I don't have time to meet everyone, but if I can, I do. And I do love to, to keep in touch with the projects people are doing to find out about the cool initiatives and to help make the connections, you know, because it's not all just about curiosity, although I am a curious person. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's also about helping make connections between people who who might be able to work together to collaborate for the betterment of of both sides so so yeah i I like to hear from people but please don't promise that i'm (laughs) that i'm I'm gonna have have a meeting with all three hundred thousand to pass through athens i don't have time for that i'm really messing with you but should we email them now? No, no, no. <laughs> hold that. Just delete, delete. No, classic. No. Yeah. So, do you have much to do with? Um, it's a bit off tack. Do you have much to do with um, the prime minister? Do you, do you talk to Elbow at all? How much connection do you have with Canberra, or is it on a regular basis? I'm assuming. 
Albo and I don't chat on the phone, although I'm sure, you know, if there were um, a reason he needed to call me, I would uh, I would be ready to take his call. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously there's a lot of contact with Canberra. So we're in touch with them every day, you know, just to coordinate on, on things. And um, when Canberra has things that they need us to do, they, they send us a message to say, can you go and do these things? And then we report on how it went. And, you know, we do regular reports on conditions here, you know. So uh, we report on the outcome of an election and how political parties are doing and, and what reforms the Greek government is pursuing and, you know, what Greece's position is on the war in Ukraine, on Hamas's attacks on Israel. So all of those things are, you know, Canberra, Canberra, I say it like it's a person, people in Canberra want to know um, Greece's positions on these things. Um, And so we sort of feed that machine with reporting. The time difference is a little bit diabolical. So I I do, you know, have phone calls with people, but... um, but most of it happens, you know, through email and, and, and those kind of channels because really the morning is the only time when I'm at work and they're at work. So we often have catch-ups on the phone then, but, but otherwise we do things by email and, and what we call the cable system, which is our formal messaging system. Um, so that's a thing. Yeah, that's so, still, so um, it, it sounds it like something that's fr- like – Old, old is 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 it a is it a bit of a relic? Is it does, it, or, or is this like an updated system? What is it? The name yeah. is a relic, by absolutely, because once upon a time it was done by yeah. a cable of some kind. I, That's I, the image I got. I don't mm. know. <laughs> yeah, so they're still called cables, but really it's just uh, it's just an IT system right. that allows you to send a message. And and the difference between doing that and sending an email is that you you select the people who are going to see it by by their position rather than having to know their name. So it allows you to get a message out to a large group of people who need to see something. Um, rather than having to select everyone's names in an email. That, that's that sounds kind of useful for what, for what I do. <laughs> I wish we had something similar. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very boring and, yeah. Um, and technical, but, um, yeah, that's just how we formally, formally sort of tell, tell the Australian system what's going on on a particular issue. So, so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of interest in Australia in this part of the world, as you can imagine, and um, Greece is an important is an important part of that as a member of the EU, as a member of NATO, as effectively a frontier state. You know, Greece is very much a border state in terms of the EU and its borders with, you know, um, Turkey and the Middle East. And so it is a, it's a really significant country in geopolitics. And so Australia is interested in, in Greece's views on, on things in this part of the world. Mm. What about going the other way around? Are there Greeks who come to you guys basically to talk about emigrating to Australia, for example? Mm. Are there programs in place for that sort of thing? Is Australia asking for that type of thing? Question. There aren't programs in place anymore. I mean, obviously, the the big Greek migrations to Australia, well, there were several waves, as you know, but um, there were programs in place uh, uh, 
in those days. That's not the case anymore. That's not really the case anywhere anymore. We don't get a lot of, I haven't had inquiries um, from Greeks looking to move to Australia. I think these days, you know, this information's available online. People don't need to go see an embassy anymore if they're thinking of relocating. So yeah, it's not really something that that comes across my desk. Greeks certainly want to visit Australia, but it's too far away. <laughs> Greeks have you know? this uh, look, Greeks have this this dire fear of flying. <laughs> not on mass. It's like 90% are just like no 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 it's it's hard enough going to this island, you know. I'm not yeah. jumping on a plane for that long. I do tell them it's just two movies and a sleep. But um Exactly. You know. wow. Okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. And a stop in Dubai or yeah. wherever. But, well, um, I, I used to think about it in terms of how many episodes of The Simpsons it would be. <laughs> as a kid that would be quite a lot actually a lot of episodes <laughs> that would be like several seasons of the yeah. seasons but yeah. Uh, yeah yeah and I think I mean I guess in this part of the world there are so many places that you can visit in such short short proximity that mm. Australia does seem like a really long way away I understand that um, but you know we still promote Australia and um, I'm working with uh, we're about to start a little campaign working with the tourism ministry here to encourage people to use the work and holiday scheme. So we do have a bilateral work and holiday scheme, which allows people from both countries to go to the other country. You have to be a university graduate and there might be an age, there might be an age restriction as well. I'd have to double check that. But um, basically it's a special visa that allows you to both work and have a holiday, hence the name, yeah. <laughs> work and holiday scheme. It hasn't really been used very much. We've had this scheme in place for a few years and, I mean, obviously in COVID it wouldn't have been used. But so we're, we're um, about to embark on a little, just a little social media campaign. Um, we're talking to the Ministry of Tourism here to just promote it and to raise awareness with people that this scheme exists so they can use it if they want to. Sounds like a great opportunity. Mm. Yeah, because it gives you a bit longer as well. You know, one of the things for Australians visiting Greece is that they've only got 90 days in the whole Schengen area. So once you've run out of days, you guys obviously know this, um, you've got to leave Schengen. You, I was in Albania recently on a little hol- holiday and I ran into some Aussies and um, I said, oh, you should visit Greece. And they're like, oh, we can't. We've run out of Schengen days. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're in Albania. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, so whereas the work and holiday visa gives you a bit more time as well. So it's a good it's a good option for people who want to spend a bit more time and earn some money while they're at it. Good opportunity. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to ask you as well about when you were first installed as, a, as ambassador there, my understanding is you had to actually meet with the Greek president. Talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, was it just the president that you met with? Did you meet have, have to meet with the prime minister at all? What does is, what is the installation process look like? So it's called um, Presentation of Credentials, the Ceremony. And it's all very formal and and fabulous. So you go to the presidential palace. Um, Because I was doing it in the height of summer, I think it was 46 degrees that day. Normally, before you go into the palace, there's the lineup of the guard, the Evzones. Um, But they were inside because they probably would have all expired, you know, from heat exhaustion if they'd had to stand outside. And there were five ambassadors doing it that day. So um, one after the other. So, yeah, they really would have been dead by the time I got there. So um, so I went inside the palace and the guards were all there lined up and they played the Greek national anthem 
And then they take me, you know, down a long corridor past all these people saluting and you go and you hand over some letters to the president. So the letters are from the Australian Governor-General and one of them introduces me as, as the new ambassador and the other one is a letter that says they are recalling my predecessor. So that's the formal way of saying he's not the ambassador anymore, she's the ambassador. So I hand those letters over and there's a set form of words that you use when you hand them over wow. and you shake hands and you um, have photos and then the president introduced me to her entourage. So I think on the day the deputy foreign minister was there, the president's diplomatic advisor, I can't remember who else was there, but she introduced me to the people with her and then, you know, we had formal photos and then we sat down and had a discussion just her and I, and then you get up and you go out and everyone salutes and they play the Australian national anthem, and then <laughs> and then we go out and that's when the flag's on the car. <laughs> so so that's the point at which I'm allowed to put the Australian flag on the car. Right, so, oh, nice. Um, <laughs> there you go, Tom. You won't. So Question then answered. you hop back in the car <laughs> and you drive back to the embassy with the flag on. So so that's how the ceremony goes. It's very formal. Wow. And so after me, I think the Indian ambassador then did the same thing. But um, it was lovely to chat with her. So that was in July and um, the Governor-General of Australia had visited Greece in May and he met with the president and they went together to Limnos, you know, to check out the location where we're building this trail. And so, you know, she really loved meeting the Governor-General and, and doing that visit to Limnos. So we talked about that. We talked about um, the diaspora. Uh, she talked about how she would like to visit Australia. And I warned her that she'd be a rock star when she went to <laughs> Australia and she <laughs> she would have to go everywhere. She couldn't just go to Canberra. <laughs> she, Everyone's she couldn't house. choose Melbourne overseas. Yeah. Sydney yeah, so, right. <laughs> so look out <laughs> but um yeah so we had a good conversation and uh yeah and I've seen her since then uh, as well um I went to a lunch with her a couple of weeks ago and had a really good conversation then she's she's a really impressive lady and of mm. course you do that in each of the countries so I've just recently come back from Bulgaria from my first visit there and similar kind of thing and I also laid a wreath in Bulgaria at their sort of tomb of the unknown soldier as oh, part nice. of the ceremony mm-hmm. so it's a really it's a really nice thing to do it's really special and um, in Bulgaria I was actually able to take my family with me for so that was lovely too. My my son was really excited to meet the president. Wow. Um, Amazing. That was that was really nice. Um, well, it's good for him so to makes see it what extra mum special. does as well. <laughs> yeah, he just thinks I stand around shaking people's hands and and look and inspecting military people all the time. That's I think it's pretty easy. I think I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's not that hard. And then he went, went back <laughs> to school. Hands. Went back to school on the Monday. What did what did you guys do over the weekend? I met the Bulgarian president. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, I went to the beach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, Fantastic. it was pretty special to be able to take the family. So that was nice. Um, yeah, so that's how you do it. You, It's all very formal and it's the same in Australia. The ambassadors go to see the Governor-General. If you're from a Commonwealth country, you're called a High Commissioner in Australia. And same yeah. for us if I were in... If I were in London or mm. Canada, I would be a high commissioner rather than a, an ambassador. Same thing, just a different title. So We're conscious of, of your, your very important time. Any final messages to our Australian and Greek-Australian um, brothers and sisters here? 
Well, I should reiterate, please get travel insurance <laughs> and hold on to your passports, guys, <laughs> before you come to Greece. But, um, yeah, I just, I'd say, like, I, I assume a lot of the people who listen to your show are, are members of the diaspora and I, I just want to say thank you for being such a, you know, such a wonderful part of Australian culture. It's a real honour and a pleasure to represent you here in Greece, um, as well as representing Australia, obviously. That's really special for me. So I do look forward to meeting people when they're in Greece. And that's one of the reasons I'm heading over to Kithira and Kalimnos and Castellorizo next summer, all the Ks. Yep. Um, uh, <laughs> because while I'm there, I'll definitely take the opportunity to catch up with the visiting Aussies. And um, I hope to see some of your listeners there next summer. I'm sure you'll definitely bump into some of them. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, be there. no doubt. Yep. Well, look, we, we couldn't be prouder of the fact that we've had you on the show and that you're, you're representing us <laughs> in Greece. You know, really special for us to have been able to have this conversation with you because of our, I don't know, I don't want to call it our dual, well, dual identities. It's such an important part of who we are. You know, we're equally as Australian as we are Greek. For us to have this opportunity to speak to you is a great honor. So on behalf of both of us and the, all of our listeners, thank you very much for that. And also thank you to our, our good friend, John Luca Dellis in Canberra, who was one of the people who said that, you know, we should be having this conversation with you. So Luca, thank you very much for that as well. Definitely. Alison, well, look, he's, he's actually a good friend of ours and I'm, I know he's a good friend of yours too, but he's doing some great things in Canberra as well with the Hellenic Club. But um, He sure is. And I saw his um, pictures online um, of Ohi Day commemorations in Canberra, which looked really cool. They had a number of the national buildings lit up up um, in the colours, yeah, which was fantastic. I'm sure John was was very much um, responsible for some of that. So good on you, John. <laughs> I'm sure he was. Um, yeah, it was. it's great to have been put in touch with you guys and it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. So I'm just sorry that you got to drink the ouzo and I had to keep <laughs> drinking water. But well, maybe we'll, next time. We'll rectify <laughs> that the next time we're there, absolutely, without doubt this time. <laughs> No, well, look, it's been great. Thank you, Alison. And look, we, we will try and take you on that offer. We'll try and get to Athens maybe next year or the year after. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers Things crossed. work well. And we can have a, a face-to-face drink with uh, an Uzo of your choice. Yeah, yeah. But, no, but no St. George shorts. Yes. Oh, cut for Alison. <laughs> or mopeds. All right, I'll wear my Carlton, Carlton singlet. And wear wear your Carlton jersey and that'll be fine. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for that. And uh, look, where, where do we go from here? We've, we've peaked now, Nick. No, that was brilliant. No, that was really good. Very insightful, Alison. I really appreciate coming on, you know, being honest, giving us a good interpretation of what goes on there. But yeah, look, that was fantastic. I got a lot out of that. Hopefully all our listeners got a lot out of that. Definitely. Bloody passport. Don't lose your passport or have Don't insurance. Don't lose your passport. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Good stuff. Okay, well, cool. let's wrap it up. Good to talk Alison, to you guys. thank you very much. Uzotalk at Outlook.com is the email. Follow us on social media at Uzotalk and at Uzo underscore talk on Instagram. Nikathana, see you. Thank you very much, mate. Tom, excellent. As always, thank you very much. Take care, Alison. Take care, everyone. Thanks, guys. Akolutiste mas sto soundies. Στο Spotify, στο Apple Podcasts και στο Google Podcasts.